Father God, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for the beautiful sunshine out the front window. God, we just want to come before you now before, as we dive into the word and, and ask you to speak to us through it. Each week as we work through the Gospel of Matthew, we see uh, words that were written down a long time ago but realize that the words spoken to us in the present about our current lives. And so Lord, we pray that, that as we, we study it this morning, that whatever we bring through the door, you can meet us in that space. That you can convict us in the areas in which we know that we're just not doing things the way we ought to, that we're not flourishing, that we have something that's holding us back. We can hear your invitation to turn away from that towards something better and fuller. We pray as well that in the areas that we're rejoicing, that we can feel you rejoicing with us, that we can find that encouragement to, to keep persevering and that there are great things in this world and in this life that we can celebrate together. And ultimately, we pray that as we meet you this morning, we can get drawn closer to who you are so that we can, out of that space, love each other better. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. So we've been working through Matthew, and we're going to continue to do that today. Our passage comes from Matthew 5. We've made it to Matthew 5. Um, it's, this, this section comes right after the Beatitudes, which we looked at last week. Uh, and it's right before a whole series of teachings on what it looks like to flourish, which we'll deal with next week. Um, but Matthew 5.13 goes like this. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on the hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, this passage was problematic for me when I was younger uh, for a number of reasons. Um, first, it's because I thought it was a passage about, um, about needing to make sure I was good enough to not get thrown out and trampled. And we'll talk about that a little bit today. Maybe you lived in that space too. Um, but in order to get at it, I want to tell a story this morning. Um, and I realized after I'd written the whole thing and shared it with Jen, um, that this is a story that I might have shared here before already. I actually don't know. I can't remember. Um, so if you've heard it, sorry, but I think it's a good enough to tell again. If you haven't heard it, here, here's the story. Uh, in the summer of 2018, uh, I was able to go backpacking, uh, go, go on a backpacking trip with a group of students to Colorado. Now, I don't know if many of you know this about me, but I, I really love to go backpacking. Actually, my oldest daughter and I have gone a number of times. Um, it's fun, and I've led trips in different spaces, and this was one of those, those times. Uh, it's actually a weird debate in my house because I don't actually enjoy camping all that much. And Jen was like, how do you like backpacking but not camping? And it really comes down to dirtiness, right? When you're backpacking, you can be filthy, right? Like absolutely disgustingly filthy. You don't have to do anything. It's just smell. It's all of that. Um, but camping, and then, or if you're in a hotel, then you're always clean, right? I got a shower. I got a clean bed. Camping is like the hybrid of those two things, right? Am I supposed to be clean right now or am I dirty right now? What, are we inside or are we outside? What's going on here? And it's just, it's fine, meh, right? It's an okay thing, right? Some of you love it. You're like, Brent, you don't understand. I know, you've all told me before. I, it won't change my mind probably. But anyway, no, that has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about after this. So anyway, <laughs> that's not the point of the story. So we headed out, on, uh, headed out on, with a group of students in two different vans to head out to uh, Buena Vista, Colorado, which is a which is an amazingly beautiful part of the country. It's in the Colorado Rockies. Um, it's also right where, I don't know if any of you ever followed um, the guy that hid a fortune in the mountains. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? 
Some of you have heard about it. It's a crazy story. This guy um, made, built this, he put a box of like treasure, essentially, in the Rocky Mountains uh, and gave some really vague clues on how to find it. You can look it up online. I can't remember the guy's name right now. Um, and anyway, he hid it in the Rockies and then sent people out to try to go find it. And apparently, it was really close to where we were in, uh, in, in Buena Vista, Colorado. Um, they did eventually find it. Somebody did at some point. Um, but it was still active when we were out there, and we didn't find it, so that's too bad. But anyway, that, again, not part of the story. Too many tangents this morning. So we drive out in two vans with a group of students to head out to Buena Vista, Colorado, which I also, by the way, if you've never made that drive, that's a hard one because um, you have to take the entire state of Nebraska and all of eastern Colorado, which is one of the most boring drives in the world. The only thing worse than that particular drive is the entire state of Ohio. That's it. It's that bad. So our plan was we go, we go white rafting. We go whitewater rafting one day, which was amazing. And then we're going to go spend four days hiking in the mountains uh, of Buena Vista. So on the second day, we get our gear together. We head up into the mountains. Um, day one is a breeze. Everyone's in good spirits. We find our campsite. We settle down. Um, and then during dinner that night, our guide, his name was Aaron. Um, he lets us know the next day is going to be a big hike. It's going to be a tough one. He's trying to get all our minds right because he's like it's. He's like, actually, it's going to be really, really hard. So just get your mind right on that one. Um, he said, we're going to peak a nearby mountain. Um, and he said, so we're going to actually leave before the sun even comes up, peak the nearby mountain, and come back down. Um, he says, oh, yeah, by the way, the mountain we're going to be climbing is a mountain called Mount La Plata, which is a picture of it right here. There, it's that one, peak. Um, why that one's interesting is because in Colorado, there are 25 peaks um, that are over 14,000 feet. They're called 14ers if you're from Colorado. Mount La Plata is actually the fifth highest mountain in the Colorado Rockies at 14,343 feet, which is really high. Uh, and that's the one that we were going to climb, this mountain here. So like I said, the plan was to leave before the sun came up in the morning, peak the mountain, and get back down to our, our, our base camp by dinner time. Now, that was really exciting for me. Um, but for the rest of the story, I want to focus on two young men that I got to meet in this particular trip and, and do this hike with. First, a young man named Grant, uh, who is one of my favorite people in the world, and another young man named Jacob. Each of these, he's also a great person too. I didn't mean to diminish him in any way. But each of these young men were, were very special, and for different particular reasons. Everybody on the trip was special, but these two had special characteristics. Jacob, first, uh, we found out partway through the climb um, that he was deathly afraid of heights, which you can already start to imagine the problem there, right? We're going to climb the fifth highest peak on Colorado, and he's afraid of heights. And didn't tell anybody until we were partway up, which we'll get to again later. And then Grant, uh, who actually have a picture of Grant and I here. This is me and my buddy Grant, right? That's still the mountain. There's Grant. That's me and Grant. Uh, and he, he's an awesome young man. Uh, be, partly because he's just the, one of the kindest people I ever met, and also uh, he's autistic. And so we had to, we had to, they added some extra challenges as we were going to climb, climb the mountain together. So before we left uh, that morning to go hiking, um, I was there as a leader, and then there, I had two co-leaders with me, which were Grant's parents, because they came along to note, because they knew that there might be some difficulties uh, along the way. And so be, the night before we left, I sat with Grant's dad, Paul, and we, we had a little of that conversation uh, about what the next day might look like. And Paul just says, hey, 
it's very likely that Grant's not going to make it to the top, so we will, we'll go as far as we can go, and as soon as he can't make it anymore, I'll stop, stay with him, you guys finish the hike, uh, and we'll meet you on the way back. So that was the plan. Uh, that, that's what we assumed would end up happening uh, as well. Well, we go to bed that night, anticipating the next day. Uh, we wake up early, like, just like our guide said, before the sun came up, and we headed out uh, up the side of the mountain. Now, a couple things. If you've never actually seen a sunrise come up over the Colorado Rockies, that's something you should put on your bucket list. It is one of the most beautiful things in the entire world. It's breathtaking. It's amazing. It's a memory I'll never forget. Uh, and so we head out, and actually, on the way, um, on the way to the, uh, on the way up the mountain here, the, the beginning was actually relatively easy. We walked up a gradual incline through this big valley. Again, amazingly beautiful. Uh, we talked a couple weeks ago about heaven on earth, and I'm pretty sure that's one of those spots. And so we start off, and it was relatively easy. So again, we're all in good spirits until we get to the ed- to the to the edge of this particular valley, and we realize now it's time to start going up significantly. Uh, and so things start getting difficult because we got to the edge of where we were supposed to go and our guide says, the path that I want to take is blocked. There's still too much snow. Um, he's, and actually I learned something that, that it's good to take a guide because I'm like, I can see the path. It looks easy. He goes, yeah, but some of that snow might be covering a chasm and you might step into it and sink right down. And I'm like, that would be bad. And I'm glad I didn't try to walk up that way, right? Because it looks flat because the snow's filled the gaps. But if you don't know... There might not be anything underneath it. But, so he's like, we've got to go a different way. So we adjust, we adjust our, our, our plan and end up looking up at this very steep uh, incline that's covered in snow. And so we have to take 12 students up this, up this incline. And that, I wish I could have got video of that. But, but one, I was trying not to die and fall down the mountain. Um, but two, uh, as I'm watching these students go, because it's all snow and ice, it's literally like one step, two step, three step, slide a little bit. One step, two step, three step, slide a little bit. It took us forever. It was exhausting and also hilarious, right? Because people, there's the height of frustration, right? When you actually are doing everything you can to be careful and then you just start to slide because you're on snow, Whew, that was, it was brutal, but we made it. And so that, we get to the top, we're exhausted, we're hanging out, but, but we, and then our guide says, hey, that's, that's, just, about, that's just the beginning. We've, we've actually made it about a quarter of the way. And we're like, oh, I guess you did warn us the day before it was going to be tough. Uh, and he was, it was true. <clears throat> so we make it to the top of the hill, we begin to feel a little bit of fatigue already, because if you haven't climbed in high elevations, it doesn't take long. Um, and so we're about a quarter of a way there, and, and the morale of the crew at this point is still high. And actually, I want to say that a big part of why the morale of the crew was high is due to Grant. And I told you I was going to focus on him a little bit here. Obviously, uh, so you need to know something about Grant. Like I told you, he, uh, he is one of the most encouraging people I've ever met. Um, but in this case, it really came to, to, to fruition because another thing that not everybody knows about Grant is that he loves Mountain Dew. Um, like loves Mountain Dew, all of the different fl- possible flavors of Mountain Dew. Well, this particular time we were going was, at, it was 2018. It was at the end of June, meaning the 4th of July is coming. And so Mountain Dew likes to put out their specialty flavors, right? And so they did, right, at this particular time. They, they released a new flavor for the, for the upcoming 4th of July, and they named it Dew SA because why not, right? It's a uh, mixture of the Voltage, which is the, the blue stuff, 
right? Uh, and then uh, the Mountain Dew Code Red, which is the red, and then the whiteout, so red, white, and blue. They just are like, hey, we have a red one, we have a blue one, and we have a um, white one, so we'll just mix them together and sell it, <laughs> right? I think the only person that might like Mountain Dew with enough is probably Andy to actually drink that, right? Um, but but it, was, it was something. Anyway, the point of the story is that this had just come out on our trip. Grant didn't even know it until we stopped at a gas station. He saw it and then became obsessed with it. It's time for some do SA. And so his dad says, while we're hiking, he says, hey, we do a good job on this hike. When we get down the end of the mountain, do SA for you. You got it, right? I'll get you a whole 12-pack, tells him, right? That's like Christmas time for Grant. This is amazing, right? This is going to be the best. And so, uh, but the beautiful thing about Grant is that even though the promise was made to him, he gets do SA at the end, He's not going to keep it for just himself, so he promises everyone else. He goes, if we do good on this hike, y'all get do SA, right? And so that became kind of the mantra for our trip. And so each time it would get hard, he would just tell us to remember that do SA at the end. And believe it or not, super motivating, right? Like, yeah, Grant, we're going to get some do SA. Let's do this. And so we, and so we climbed, uh, and he continually, uh, continually motivated us and challenged us the whole way up. Now, I need to hustle a little bit through the next part of this story uh, so that we can keep moving. Um, but we continue to climb as the day goes on, and unfortunately, um, it, it gets more and more difficult as we continue to go up. And unfortunately, for most of us, our morale went with it. Um, we tried our best to stay positive, but it got really, really tough. Because if you've climbed in this kind of area, what happens is you end up in a series of peaks and valleys. So you get, you, you, you're looking up, and you can only see the, the peak up in front of you, and, you're, and your goal is just to get there. And usually when you get to that peak, you'll look and you'll see another peak, and it's not the one you're trying to get to yet, right? So you get to the peak, you've got to go through a valley, and then back up onto that peak. And then you'll get to that one, and you do it all over again. And the first few times is fine, <laughs> and it's more tired you get every time you go up to a false peak. You're like, ooh, okay, right? We've got another one to go, and that kept happening. And so fatigue was setting in on the kids' faces. Now, to their credit, these, these kids were great. There was a lot of gr- very little grumbling, again, probably to Grant's credit of continually promising us do a say. Um, but, uh, but then one of our biggest hurdles hit. We were, we were almost to the end. And like I had mentioned before, there was a young man named Jacob. And, the small th- and, and like I had mentioned, the other thing about him is that he hadn't told us that he was deathly afraid of heights. Um, which we learned at this point of the trip when we got towards the end. As we had been steadily climbing upward, the paths began to get narrower and narrower, right? Which makes sense. As the peaks get higher and shorter, um, the path gets narrower as well. And so all of a sudden, we're at this point of the mountain in which Jacob just freezes, completely freezes. I mean, like completely, completely freezes. He sat down, put his head in his hands, and he wouldn't move. He couldn't move. He was stuck. He was frozen with fear. He wouldn't go up. He wouldn't go down. He just sat there on the side of the mountain. And so we were worried. We're like, what do we do now? We can't leave him here because we're on this literally in the middle of nowhere. Um, we also can't carry him up for sure. And so we, had, we began by just trying to encourage him. Hey, man, can we, let's go down. Let's do something. We got to move. And it wasn't working. Put about 15 minutes into it and just couldn't get anything moving. And so the guide and, and the leaders that were there with me, we started to get really nervous. We didn't know what to do. And so we just took a break 
Um, and we pulled a, the adults away to just kind of talk about what the plan was. Literally, the plans we were working through were, can one of us carry him down? Um, just, I know he's not going to want to, but scoop him up and carry him down because I'm not sure what else to do. And so we were, we, were, we were walking through all of those different things. And unfortunately, I mean, I'm not a very big guy, but I was definitely one of the bigger ones on the trip. And I'm like, I don't think I can carry him, right? Our guide is literally like that tall. He's the smallest guy ever. And didn't run out of energy. I just also don't think he could carry a full-grown person either. And so we were getting really worried. But then as we were talking, so we're off to the side trying to make a plan so the kids don't hear it. And while we were talking, something amazing happened. The other students had grouped around Jake um, now, high schoolers sometimes can get a bad rap, and maybe you, you've seen that. Um, but, but also, if you've spent any time with them, you realize they're, they can also, they're also capable of amazing things. And this was one of those times. See, the students rallied around Jake, and they encouraged him. They challenged him to keep going. Um, Grant repeatedly offered him do a, an extra do USA um, if, when he got down, right? Um, and they all rallied around him. They encouraged him. They didn't make him feel guilty. They didn't do any of those things. And so, we, and so as we're watching, we see Jake stand up again and begin to walk up the path, which we had thought at this point that was out of the question. There's no way he's going to keep going up. And yet he did. And he kept going. So finally, we make it to the top of the one we were on. We make it to our second to last peak. We can finally see the top top. And so we take a moment, standing on top of that, uh, that final false peak, uh, just to take everything in. Our guide reads some scripture for us, and he, and he challenges us for this last about 15 minutes it's going to take to go down and back up again. He says, we're going to do it in complete silence. And so we read the priest of scripture, we, we say a little prayer, uh, and then we walk this last little bit in complete silence. Um, just to take everything in around us, which also was an amazingly powerful experience just to realize the, 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 the power and majesty of creation when you're up that high, surrounded by everything that you were surrounded by. And so we begin the final push. I was at the very back of the pack just to make sure everybody made it up. And so I got the opportunity then to watch each student reach the top. I saw Jake reached the top. I saw Grant reach the top. I saw the entire crew that we had started out with. Remember, the plan was we figured we'd have to leave people along the way, and I saw every single student hit that peak. I saw Jacob stand up on top of the mountain, both of his arms open this way, and just scream into the everything, right? You can imagine it, right? He's so proud of himself for making it up that high. The kid that had froze only one peak earlier is now standing on top of a 14,000-foot mountain screaming out into the 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 wide everything. Actually, the picture before that, you could see this kind of the view, although you can see it here too, the view that we had of everything um, all the way around there, right? So it was just, it felt like you're literally scraping the top of the world. It was unreal. Next picture is the entire crew that we had there with us. Um, you can see Jake didn't like to stand the whole time because he's the one in front there that still wants to kind of stay closer to the ground there than, <laughs> than on top. Uh, but we got to watch him be, be so, so proud of himself. Next, Grant gets to the top. Again, Grant always knew he was going to make it. The rest of us didn't know if he would or not. Um, my other favorite part of the story is that he gets to the top, and he's right next to his mom, and, uh, and now the silence is broken. And so and Grant looks at his mom, and he's like, oh, that was hard. And his mom goes, I know, buddy. It was really tough. And he looks at her kind of weird, and he goes, no, just being quiet part. And I'm like, 
that makes sense. That makes sense. So he gets, he gets to the top, and his dad's right behind him there, who actually has to walk away for a little bit because it was pretty emotional for him. Like, it was a moving, moving experience for him. Um, it, it, and it was, it was, it was unreal. Um, it, was just, it, was, it was just one of the, the most unbelievable things. And I think it's related to the passage that we looked at this morning. See, in the Old Testament, God calls the nation of Israel to be his people. God calls them to be what he, what he calls a kingdom of priests. Now, the most simple way to understand that is, is just to understand what a priest is. A priest is a representation of God to the world, right? So they communicate, they, they advocate on behalf of God to the people, and they advocate on the behalf of people to God. And so what you're supposed to be if you're a priest is when you look at a priest, you're supposed to see an image of God in that. And so what God says to his particular people in the Old Testament is, I want you all to be that. When people look at you, I want them to see me. I want you to advocate for me to the rest of the world. Meaning, in the way he says it is actually, we see it laid out in Genesis 12, in the very first charge that God gives to Abraham. We have it up here on the screen. In this particular, this is the, the kind of the, the, what many people believe to be the beginning of the nation of Israel. It's when God says to Abraham, this is what it's going to look like. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation and I will bless you. God opens up his, his, his charge to his people with a blessing. He says, I'm going, to make, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be with you in a special way. I'm going to be near to you. But what we, what we don't want to miss then is, is what comes next. He says, God promises, I'll make your name great. But then he says, and you will be a blessing. Now, it's easy to read that as part of God's blessing to Abraham, but if you actually look at it in the Hebrew, you realize that it changes tone. It, goes, it moves into the imperative, meaning it's not something that God is promising to Abraham, but something that God is asking of Abraham. He's saying, I'm going to bless you, and then you are going to go out and bless everybody else, is what this particular passage is saying. It was always what Israel was supposed to be about. God says, I'm going to be with you in a special way so that you can go out and be my advocates to everybody else. We've seen that in the past few weeks as we've been working through Matthew too, right? We saw it at the beginning of Jesus' preaching career. We started with the question, do we trust that God says who he is? God is who he says he is. Then we moved into Jesus' opening statement of his entire preaching career, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. We talked about how that is an invitation to turn away from the things that we know that are hurting us and experience the kingdom life all around us. Last week, Lisa walked through Jesus' opening statements of the Sermon on the Mount. It's a resetting of the law. Right? She even talked about how at the, in the, if you read the Sermon on the Mount in Luke, it actually is called the Sermon on the Plain um, because Essentially, where Jesus preached on was like the slow, gradual uphill. So you, I guess you could call it a mountain if you wanted to, but also it's not like the one we saw in Colorado there. Um, but Matthew calls the Sermon on the Mount in particular because he wants to draw you back to Sinai when God gave the law the first time at Mount Sinai. And he's saying, I'm going to reset that for you here. Jesus opens with a declaration in this sermon then that God is with all of us. Lisa pointed out that we had people from every different background there, and he begins his message by saying, you are blessed that God is with you, that he, want, that, that he wants to lead you into his way of flourishing uh, and that that's available for everyone. Which brings us then back to today and to the passage that we already read. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. 
You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that you may see their good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So remember, we, we just said that, that, that as we've been walking through the beginning of Matthew, that we realized that, that, that Matthew is setting up Jesus to be the, the restoration of everything that Israel was supposed to be. That Jesus is like the new Moses. That Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is like the new giving of the law. That the, the, the entire Gospel of Matthew is written to the Jewish people to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that came in the Old Testament and that this is the way that we're supposed to understand it. And, the, and he's doing that again here as well. Matthew begins the Sermon on the Mount with blessing, just in the way that God blesses Abraham. He says to all of you, to Abraham, you are blessed. I'll be with you in a special way. Jesus opens the Sermon on the Mount by saying, you are all blessed. And then follows it up here in this particular part by saying, now you've got to do something with that. Right? Israel's blessing was always meant to be personal in the same way ours was, but not private. You have been blessed, God says to Abraham, so now go and bless the world. Jesus opens his sermon by making that exact same declaration. Blessed are you, a personal declaration, but then you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Now in this particular passage, there's some things that are easy to miss. First, notice that it does not say, you are the salt of the earth if, or you are the light of the world if. No, these declarations are mirroring the Beatitudes. He makes the declaration, you are salt, you are light, period. You're blessed, like Israel. So go and use what you have for the sake of those around you. In other words, because you are blessed, you have a purpose. You have a calling on your life, just like Israel had. They were chosen by God for the sake of the rest of the world. Jesus is making the declaration here that the the church is the same. Blessed are all of you in the Beatitudes. You are salt. You are light. You you are already whole in that way. So now use that for something. There's a purpose. You were given that for a reason. And they would have understood what some of those reasons are. He starts by saying, you're the salt of the earth. Now, salt, in particular, in the ancient world, did two things. First, salt perse- or preserves, right? And maybe you know that. If you salt meat or salt other, or fish or things like that, um, it, it lasts longer. They don't go bad as quickly. Um, it, it was a super important part uh, of the dietary habits of people because it could keep meat from spoiling. Salt preserves things. It also enhances flavor. We salt our food because it takes the flavor that's already there and makes it Bolder, stronger, right? It's an extremely valuable commodity. It's, it's meant to be used for good things, either to help things pre- be preserved or to enhance flavor. If salt fulfills its purpose, it's an amazing thing. But this passage also points out that if it doesn't, if it doesn't want to do salt things, it loses its saltiness, then it misses all its potential and essentially becomes pavement. It becomes something that we can walk on. It's rock. Same is true with light. See, light is one of those things that we take for granted in the modern world because all of us have lived in the era of electric light bulb, right? We can control the lighting of almost every single environment that we're in. 
Now, have any of you, though, ever been somewhere at night without an external light source? Not many of us, right? Some of us have been. If you've ever been in that situation, my guess is most of us can live our lives without ever having to be in that situation. If you've ever, if you've ever been in a situation like that, which actually would be a situation that majority of human history would have lived in, it's a pretty overwhelming experience, isn't it? The darkness feels oppressive. Uh, you become immediately aware of how vulnerable you are. It's because light does a few things too. The first thing it does is it reveals and illuminates. Second, it attracts. If you've, ever been the, you, if you've ever been in a dark situation like that, you know how valuable it is to find a light. See, in the, in the dark, it's hard to know what's there. Was that noise that you heard something dangerous, or is it just the wind? It's hard to know. See, light helps us see possible dangers that are out there, things that could hurt us. But it works the other way, too. Maybe you're scared to move because you're convinced that something dangerous is waiting just outside in the shadows. Well, light can help us there, too. It can show us that the monster that we're afraid of is just a weirdly shaped branch sometimes, right? It can do both of those things. Light reveals what's in the dark so that we can see it clearly, that we can know what's true and then act appropriately, which is why it's so attractive, See, light can also be seen from a long way away. If you're lost in the dark, you'll walk towards whatever light source you can see, right? Light draws attention. It attracts things. It draws things to it. And so Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You have been blessed. And now, with Jesus, you've been called to illuminate or reveal or attract people to him. You have been shown or are being shown what's true, what's best, what causes us to flourish, which we talk about each week. And so he said, now you can help other people see that as well. That's how the passage ends. He says, don't hide what you've seen. Don't put it under a bowl. Don't keep the thing that you've had illuminated for you to yourself. Share it with anyone else around you. See, the more I study Matthew... And the more I study the Sermon on the Mount in particular, the more beautiful it becomes. So we've seen an amazing progression over the past couple months. Matthew starts by showing us that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God has been doing through history. He shows us that Jesus doesn't come from nowhere, but is the person the Old Testament promised. He then shows us that Jesus is worth following. He's like Moses. And then Jesus starts teaching. He begins with the declaration that we all have value. And because of that, the kingdom of God has come near and God wants to be with us, to bless us, and to have, have us experience a heavenly life. And so he begins his ministry with a beautiful challenge, an invitation to repent, to turn away from the things that are hurting us towards the things that are heavenly. And he sits down then and begins to teach, like, he did on, like God did on Sinai. But not just to the Jews, as Jesus, or Lisa showed us last week, but to everyone declaring God is with everyone, which then brings us into today. Now, we have so much further to go as we walk through Matthew, but today Jesus addresses what so many of us wrestle with in our lives, I think. Jesus gives a group of diverse people from different backgrounds, of different lifestyles, of different belief systems, a purpose. Which I think when we all stop and really take stock of our life, we realize is something we desperately need is purpose. For years, 
a book by Pastor Rick Warren topped the bestseller charts. Anybody know which one it is? Probably can guess when I just said the word purpose, right? The Purpose Driven Life. Uh, so that book has sold over 50 million copies. It's a lot of books. So why was that book so popular for so long? And it's because fundamentally we're all searching for some kind of purpose, aren't we? Why am I here? What's my value? Why do I matter? What do I contribute to this place that we're in? And so Jesus opens the Sermon on the Mount with a declaration that you have inherent value because you are a person. And because of that, you are salt and you are light. In Jesus, you not only have inherent value as as a person, you have value to share with the world around you. You can illuminate, you can enhance, you can persevere, you preserve, and you can attract people to things that have been revealed to you. I had mentioned at the beginning of the message that this passage was problematic for me growing up. See, for much of my Christian life, uh, I lived in fear of losing my salvation. The mindset that I had was, do what Jesus says or you might go to hell. And I'm guessing there might be a few of you who can relate to that. Anybody? Or am I all alone on that one, right? Some of you raised them, but you all did it slowly because you're like, I don't know if I can, which means I get it, right? We're in the same boat then. Now, we'll actually talk about hell a little later in the series. It's not today's topic, and it's a big one, so we'll pause for now, but it does come up in Matthew. We'll have to deal with it. But what I will say, though, is that passages like this one today are not meant to be understood to be about hell at all. If I lose my saltiness, I'll be trampled is not about hell. (laughs) See, the next time you read through the New Testament, I just want you to look at how often the Bible mentions heaven versus how often hell is mentioned. It's not even close. Over and over and over again, the biblical authors are not telling us to run away from hell. It's a, honestly, it's about one-fourth to three-fourths. Three-fourths of the time they're talking about heaven, one-fourth of the time they'll talk about hell. The biblical authors, though, are not trying to convince us to run away from hell, which I spent too much of my Christian life doing, running away from hell. Instead, they're inviting us to run toward heaven, which is subtle but incredibly different and important. And that's what's happening in the passage that we looked at today. What it's saying is that you have something to offer this world. You have something that will make your life and someone else's life better. You are salt. You are light. And so Jesus lays out a choice then for you. You can either embrace that, embrace your blessing, to bless others, just like Israel was invited to do, or you can squander it. You can choose to allow your blessing to make a huge impact on the world, or you can let it become worthless. Nothing more than pavement to be walked on. That's the challenge that Jesus puts out in this particular message. So I open the message today with a story. A story about how my friends Grant and Jacob, along with the rest of the students who were on my trip, Grant was a young, is a young man who, in my experience, has, seen, has helped me see what it means to be the salt of the earth in a unique way. He has challenges I'm never going to have to deal with. But I know on the day of the hike that we were on, his unending optimism that he shared with all of us. Remember, he, 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 was, he was promised the do essay, not the rest of us, right? But that was never a blessing that he even considered to keep for himself for a minute. Grant's encouragement 
and optimism. His positive spirit affected all of us that day. It was contagious. And it's hard to even express how important that was. Those, those constant words of encouragement that we can do it. Do it for the, the reward at the end, but also do it because he's encouraging us. And as a result, when crisis came that day, when Jake found himself overcome by fear, a group of students who were all tired themselves and at the end of a very difficult hike could have, re- could have reacted very differently in that situation. But I'm convinced that because Grant had decided to be salt and light that day, because we all wanted him to succeed and he, all wanted, he wanted us all to succeed, I'm convinced that that changed the entire din- dynamic of that day. It motivated the rest of the students to also then be salt and light, to share what they had with their brother who was stuck, getting him literally back on his feet, giving him the resolve to overcome his crippling fear and then literally reach a mountaintop. You see, we're all searching for purpose in our lives. And Jesus is calling us to that here in this passage. You are salt You are light. Your value is secured, and we've said that over and over and over again each week. This is not a passage about being worried that you need to run away from hell. What it's an invitation to is to walk towards heaven. You you have something to offer, either helping someone persevere or to enhance an experience that they've had or to illuminate something that's true that they can't see or to attract them to something better or a variety of other things you could be doing as well. You, are, you have that inherent value in you. And so the question then that Jesus asks is, will you, like Grant, like those students on the mountain, use that blessing to make a difference around you in whatever little way you can? Because it's amazing to me how, so, how those little moments of light or salt can change an experience in such a dramatically big way. I don't think any of us could have anticipated the value of doing it, say, at the beginning of a hike. And yet, there's an experience that I know I won't forget. I know experience that all those kids in that picture will never forget because of it. Because someone decided to use the blessing that they had been given to bless others, even if that blessing was a little ridiculous because it's three colors of Mountain Dew. So as we leave today, where in your life can you be salt and light for someone? Where can you help someone see something they haven't seen? You have it in you. So will you use it? Or will you put your light under a bowl or let your salt not be salty? Will you pray with me? Father God, we just come before you and realize that, uh, that it's amazing that even though we're in our, in our messed up states, that we, are, that we all aren't flourishing in the way that you would hope each of us were, that is you still declare that we're salt and light. In our imperfections, you still call us to bless those around us. And God, we just pray that you give us vision to do that, to use the things that we've been given to enhance, illuminate, to attract, to help someone persevere, to use the blessings that you've given us in whatever little way we can to change the trajectory of someone's life for just a moment. And then we trust that you will take those little things that we do and make them into amazing things. Amen.